My name is J.D. Henning, and you're listening to Cheat the Camera, a podcast about short films and those who make them. And today is a very special day. We're going to be breaking from our typical programming a little bit to talk about something that I've done recently, along with my guest. We have made a a film called Portal Runner, along with many talented people, and it's a feature-length film that just came out last month uh, in real time, so December 2021. We've had an extremely positive reception, and I'm just super excited to talk about that and talk about how that's relevant for all of you out there making your short films and even thinking maybe about your feature films. Uh, With me today on the podcast, I have Cornelia Duryea. She was the director of the project. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, Corey? Hi, I am Corey, also known as Cornelia. And I work with Josh at Kairos Productions for the past six years. And I am just so thrilled to be involved with Portal Runner, which is uh, one of the most fun things I've ever done. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm. Oh, and I forgot to give the, the synopsis of the project. So you oh, yes. can... You can watch Portal Runner online on YouTube, Tubi, and in a variety of other formats. I'll have the links in the description. Uh, But to give you just a short little synopsis of the story, uh, Portal Runner follows a boy named uh, Nolan. He's, uh, you know, kind of a teenage boy who's uh, blessed with the ability to travel to parallel universes, but cursed to be chased through them by a monstrous evil intent on his destruction. And when he ends up stuck in a parallel universe with an older sister who he's never met before, but from her perspective, she's always had a younger brother named Nolan. He needs to figure out what's going on, band together with his family and just possibly save himself and save the world. I'm just thrilled about it. It is the first feature that I've had that got out of uh, the script phase, got into distribution. It's had a really, really positive reception, and I'm just super excited about it. Uh, We made a movie. (laughs) We did. (laughs) Yeah, and it's gotten a really good reception. Uh, Probably one of the most exciting sort of reviews that we got was from the New York Times uh, that recommended uh, Portal Runner. Uh, They, here's the quote that I like the best is, best of all is an effective humor that's not only rare in low cost indies, but captures the time during which the movie is set. I mean, isn't that awesome? It was so great to read that. On Christmas morning, we got this review. Everyone was pinging us going, hey, have you seen the New York Times today? <laughs> By the way, Merry Christmas. It was so fun. Oh, my yeah. God. Oh, day. man. Yeah, just such a great day. What a what a fun Christmas present to get from the New York Times. <laughs> yeah, just great. And we've you know had a lot of other reviews. Uh, we had the premiere in December, and it was really fun. It was online. Uh, we did it through YouTube, through a streaming channel called Kings of Horror. That was that was a really good time. It was a great time, and it was so fun to get live streamed comments from people who were watching it for the first time. Yeah, it was, it was, it was really great. Uh, you know, not the same as sitting in a theater together, but obviously with COVID, this is what we can do. And it was a really good time. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. I'm honored by the, the attention that it's getting and blessed and, I love that the geeks are discovering it uh, in hordes and and loving on it. We did have a very sketchy sneak preview Mm. for Gen Con Mm -hmm. in 2019 when it wasn't quite finished. And the geeks went insane uh, then for it. And that was a great sign to us. But this was even more satisfying um, now that it's all finished and beautiful. Actually, I would call it 
not on high concept, even though mm-hmm. it's a very small film in terms of budget, but it's large in terms of scope. And it crosses about five genres, which we've been getting a lot of press about <laughs> too. It's yeah. a fantasy, science fiction, horror, family dramedy or something. <laughs> uh, and that's so much fun for people because they love the genre mix that we uh, did. Mm-hmm. And I think that came from Josh's original concept that he brought he brought us a beautifully realized uh script um to larry estes our producer and and myself um many years ago and uh we and it seriously guys it it pushed aside all of my own scripts that i've been writing mm-hmm. and that has only happened to me once before with west of redemption about a decade ago so it just it just blew my mind it was so great and then josh and larry and Talis Moore and I decided to, uh, Josh was fine with us having a writer's room for it. And so we had a wonderful writing process where Josh, as of course, head writer and originator of it, uh, was able to allow us to collaborate. And I think it, I I love collaboration. Everyone knows this about me that knows me. Mm -hmm. And I think Mm -hmm. that it's ramped up the fun of it to have three minds just riffing in that, in that writer's room, which was probably one of the more fun experiences of my whole life. Yeah, it was a great time. And yeah, that that brings us right into the kind of the meat and potatoes of our podcast today, which is some top tips from Corey with me as an assist uh, uh, from making uh, Portal Runner to talk about like what advice you can receive as somebody who's looking towards your short films or your feature films. And the the top tip that uh, we're beginning with that Corey's launched into is that the script is everything. Why don't you talk a little bit about how you uh, learned that that is the bedrock? Thank you so much, Josh. Yeah. Um, so I made a lot of shorts uh, before I made features like everyone does. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And my first short was made years ago um when i was quite young relatively speaking and well that's not true i made movies in high school but anyway um <laughs> it it was through a grant i i won a grant mm. uh from a local um or film organization that is no more but was part of my film school training mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it was a grant for 30k wow so i got this huge grant to do a short so i decided to use all the resources that I had. And I went to New York City and I filmed New York City Ballet in their own studios. Mm -hmm. And I did a beautiful, I was then a choreographer and I did a dance movie Mm -hmm. uh, called Dancing With You. And so my stars were New York City Ballet. Wow. um, Prima ballerina, Jennifer Ringer and her husband, James Fayette. And it was astonishing. And this was on film and we had dolly tracks and the whole thing. It was a huge, huge thing. I don't know that everyone will start their first short like that anymore. This is (laughs) digital. But the thing that I learned from doing that biggest short that I ever did was Dancing Mm -hmm. With You was script. And I already knew this from film school. Mm-hmm. But the reason why I got New York City ballet behind it and the reason why I got my friends who were huge ballet stars to spend mm-hmm. four days filming with me, which is huge out of their schedule. Mm-hmm. And um, and we had to work around their rehearsals and their performance. It's just amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, was the script. It was the, the power of the script. They all saw the script as a beautiful little sort of poem that they wanted to be involved mm-hmm. with. Um, right. And that's how I got the funding. And that's how I got my my first viable short that I would ever show anyone uh, done. So that 
I learned in film school. I went to several film schools. Two of them were only for screenwriting, intensive hmm. film schools. Um, <laughs> Act one, writing for Hollywood, was six weeks of drinking from a fire hose in New York City. Okay. And then I did one in Seattle as well called the film school. And, and those were both based on teaching intensive, powerful methods on writing great scripts. Um, I also got into sort of the, if you will, the advanced or elite class of act mm-hmm. one, it's called act two, in okay. which we had a year of mentorship with working Hollywood screenwriters. We would meet every two weeks Wow! and we, I would fly in from Seattle for this because I lived in Seattle at the time. And, Mm -hmm. and I would stay with friends on their couch and I would devote myself to this. And Mm -hmm. their deal was you do not write the script until you have a perfect treatment and a perfect beat sheet. And you Mm -hmm. have it all set in your mind. You have it all ready. The whole story, the spine and what depends from the spine and every Mm -hmm. beat. And so some people got theirs perfect at month five or six of the year. So halfway through. I did not get mine perfect until month seven of the internship. Wow. And I was not freed to write my script until month eight. Okay. Of 12 months. Wow. And, and so the way I was trained is you get your ducks in a row and you, you know, your concept and you've, you've worked mm-hmm. out everything. Well, no, if I move that over here, then this might be, you know, you've done all mm-hmm. that stuff before you start to write. Then mm-hmm. when you start to write, it flies. It flies because you're not wasting time writing whole scenes that you're mm-hmm. never going to use. Yeah. So that is a tip I have for folks who are interested in that method. Um, it's been very good to me for the past 25 years. Mm-hmm. Um, all of my scripts have been written that way. And I have to be very patient with myself because mm-hmm. I'm a Celtic person. I'm type A. I'm impatient. I want to mm. get to it. But one another thing I have been taught and I've really taken to heart from my mentors and screenwriting is do not rush yourself or your mm-hmm. project. Take mm-hmm. the time it takes. Mm-hmm. And I learned this in natural horsemanship too. take the time it takes. So it takes less time. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that certainly is a the kind of the MO that we used while we were writing portal runner. I mean, yes. we, uh, you and I and Talis all together, we worked on that script and we worked it and we broke the story. We didn't, we didn't uh, put our hands on a keyboard to actually write any of the script proper until we knew how the beginning related to the ending and how uh, the subplots for each of the characters worked. And, you know, if the script is everything, then even before the script, the uh, outline is, is everything. And even before the outline, the log line is everything. And, you know, just sort of getting those basic beats right before you dive even deeper in just saves so much time. And, and, you know, one of the things that uh, I was so impressed that we were able to do was we we put together the first draft of this screenplay very quickly. And I think it definitely owed a lot to the fact that we had three people working collaboratively together to, to make that outline as good as it could possibly be before we even launched into actual writing of it. So it, it was all about the planning together. And uh, that was, I think, why we were able to get the script off the ground so quickly. Well, also we took, we did take the time it took so mm-hmm. that it took less, less time. And mm-hmm. as, as we often say, and as I teach when I'm teaching this is, mm-hmm. you know, you only get one shot to impress someone with a script. Mm-hmm. They're good. They, and you've probably only got about 10 minutes, maybe nine right. or 10 pages before they go. Yeah, no, 
Uh-uh. Yeah. Maybe five, right? Mm-hmm. So you have to start and hook them in immediately. You have mm-hmm. to, they have to fall in love on page one and then get more in love on page two and more in love on page three so that they'll go through to the end of the however many pages. Mm-hmm. And and so people often show things to people way too early. And that is detrimental to your success, in my opinion. So we did really well, I thought, at, at doing the log line and the beat sheet and all of it um, so that we felt prepared. And we, and especially in a fantastical world that we're making up, mm-hmm. we have to know the rules, the logic, the way it works, the line of it, the, mm-hmm. the spine of the logic of the world that mm-hmm. we're in as we're creating it, um, even more than someone who's writing in modern day. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's sort of that classic uh, trope or faux pas that the 70s Superman movies did where just whenever he needed a new superpower, they just kind of added it and it begins <laughs> to feel kind of ridiculous because if, if you, you know, if you're making up the rules and then you just add a new rule whenever it's convenient, it does kind of give short shrift to the story and to the audience ultimately. It's like retconning in, mm-hmm. in, in gaming. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it, you know, if, if you wipe away the work of all the brilliant screenwriters before you, why are you even coming to play? I don't absolutely. understand that. Yeah, yeah okay. absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, and so let's talk a little bit about uh, during production, which it was the first time I was, you know, around for a, a big project like this to actually be made. And one of the things that I, I recognized as you were leading the set is that you really direct very collaboratively. Can you talk a little <laughs> bit about that? Yeah. So I'm kind of known for it. Um, I've always been a collaborative person. Um, I do best in community and I definitely mm-hmm. do best creating art in community all my life have, have always been. I came from the mm-hmm. theater. I founded mm-hmm. a theater with friends. I co-founded Seattle Shakespeare Company here in Seattle mm-hmm. with a lot of friends and ran that for a decade. And coll- collaboration is what theater people do. It's also mm-hmm. what film people can do. Mm-hmm. But there is this sort of myth of the auteur mm. with film that I like to come against. I like to say no. And in every one of the films that I have directed, um, and in some of the ones I haven't but have been a part of, and mm-hmm. able to influence things at the end. It doesn't say a film by Cornelia Durier ever. Mm. It's at the end of the movie. It always says a film by 261 people because mm-hmm. that's who made it. Mm-hmm. Um, because as I often say on in, in pre-production and also on set on the first day, I always do this speech where I say, mm-hmm. uh, this is a collaborative process for me. There is no stupid question. There is no bad idea. Mm-hmm. I want to hear them all. I want to hear them, though, in an orderly way. And here's how it works. Mm -hmm. If you have this brilliant idea that you'd like to share with production, go to your department head. Mm -hmm. When the time is right, they will bring it. Mm -hmm. Don't just walk up to me when I'm about to to yell action and go, hey, you know, Mm -hmm. mm, that's not how we do this. But Mm -hmm. but I do want to hear everything that you have because we are a team and this is creative. And and I feel that way with actors. I mean, of course, Mm -hmm. as a director, my main job is the actors. Mm And as a recovering actor myself, I was one for about 25 years working actor. Um, I speak actor and I was trained uh, in in schools uh, and in an ongoing training because I believe an actor's training is never done. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm still doing improv class now because it's fun. Um, (laughs) I, I do believe that collaboration 
is is so important for a director and also good leadership. So I want the actors when I, that I'm working with to feel uh, they have good, strong boundaries around them. They know their job. They know mm-hmm. it's like a well-oiled machine. They feel confident. They don't feel mm-hmm. scared. They don't feel worried, especially when there's stuff that's rough for them to do. Right. Like a lot of actors have to do. Um, and I want them to feel like if they have a brilliant idea, they should definitely come to me privately in a right. small moment, come right. to me and say, what if, and so I always tell them indeed that um, we will do the script as written as many times as we need to until I am satisfied. And then it's time to play. Right. And then I will let you ramp up to it. I will let you cruise out of it. I will let you come up with stuff in the middle. I, if there is time in the schedule, which there always is not, there's not always, um, <laughs> I will let them play. And that's some of our greatest moments, especially with this cast who are all from improv and all hilarious, mm-hmm. wonderful humans with great brains and wonderful hearts. Mm-hmm. Um, I think some of our best stuff came from improv. Yeah, absolutely. Some of my favorite lines in the whole in the whole thing uh, are improv lines. You know, we I didn't, didn't write, write them. them. <laughs> the actors did. Yeah, yeah. It's just delightful. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and uh, so moving forward uh, in time, we get through pre production and production, and then we are in post, which is a whole different sort of ball game. And, <laughs> You were talking about, before we began this podcast, you were talking about how leadership does not stop on set. Can you talk a little bit about what leadership looks like in post? Yeah, okay. So post-production, as anyone who's ever done it on anything knows, uh, it's a marathon. It is not a sprint. Mm -hmm. And you have to use as much mental discipline and spiritual practice and Mm -hmm. good health for yourself uh, in post as you do on set, because it's a mental drain. It is so long and it mm-hmm. is so difficult and there's nobody there, but you, and maybe one other person for most right. of it, it's very lonely for a collaborative tribal person mm-hmm. like myself. Yeah. Very lonely. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I, the, the high point of my life is pre-production gearing up to the show and then hundreds of my favorite people <laughs> for months and then they all go away. Mm-hmm. And it's down to the delightful Kairos team. Thank God for all of you. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's usually down to one other artist and me in a room, Mm -hmm. Uh, which is great that there's another artist. But at this particular time in our planet, not so much in the same room, which is very hard for a collaborative person, too. So I'm just saying it's, Mm -hmm. it's hard on the woodwork. And yet, as the team leader, as the director, you are the decider. And you have the, the, the calling and the onus is upon you to get it right. And, and it's very terrifying sometimes um, in post because you don't want to make the wrong decision and you don't want mm-hmm. to go down the wrong road. Sometimes you do. That's inevitable. Mm-hmm. That can be expensive, <clears throat> which brings up money. Um, yes. These days in a digital age and with everybody having basically a whole camera on their phone and mm-hmm. you know whatever it's less so but in my day when i was younger <laughs> uh, it was very everything was very expensive on film and um sometimes the decisions that you make in post are so expensive that you cannot do them and you just have to go down another path which hmm. is its own discipline when you have limited money we talked about this in the writer's room and mm-hmm. in pre-production on portal runner when you have limited money 
it hems you in in certain ways and kind of streamlines things in a direction that it must go because you just don't have the funds. That can be a huge plus. It's also a bummer, but it's a huge plus because if you don't have the resources, then you, you have to madly create in a different direction than you thought. And sometimes that's where the power comes behind your story. And with this, we had a very limited budget for a movie of this scope. And so Josh came up with the brilliant idea initially of, I know, let's do it all in one house. <laughs> and we went, huh? And he went, well, no, 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 listen, let me, let me pitch this to you. And we were mm-hmm. like, well, now, huh? Oh, okay, Josh, sure. Um, and it's, it's brilliant. It's brilliant what, what he came up with, I think. Um, and oh, that's you. because we didn't have enough money to do the full scope one that we hope to do for part two, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. But I also mm-hmm. want to say having an amazing producer like Larry Estes, who has done 87, 88 films as a producer, it's <laughs> literally incredible. feature films. Um, he is able to manage the budget in a way that I've never seen anybody else do. He does not blow it all on set and then you're starving during post-production. Mm-hmm. He's able to apportion the funds from his vast experience so that there's enough to make it and maybe a little left over that we just mm-hmm. keep in the slush fund. We don't talk about it. Mm-hmm. And then there's enough for post and then there's enough for festivals yes. that he saved so that you can go to festivals. And you don't have to, you know, all camp in one hotel room and eat beans. I mean, he, mm-hmm. he's, he's so good. Budgeting is as important, obviously, as writing. It just is. You have to be able to budget your project, even if it's a short film, actually, especially if it's a short film, Mm -hmm. so that everybody gets fed, everybody stays Mm -hmm. warm, everybody stays safe these days, and you have enough money for post. Yeah, absolutely. And that reminds me of something that we ran into in post on this project. We had <laughs> uh, we had a needle drop song. So we had a, a you know, an already licensed song that we that we had in there as a as a temp you know, piece of music temporarily. And we, everybody really liked it. Uh, but unfortunately it was by a big band and it just wasn't going to be financially feasible for us. So we eventually, we found an alternative that I personally, I like more oh, uh, by a Seattle band kind of from the era of the nineties, which is when portal runner was set, uh, that had this great track called uh, sweet young thing ain't sweet no more. And that worked out just beautifully uh, for the project. But unfortunately, uh, the music licensing issues, uh, can they're real. And, and that's something that I think people don't necessarily realize if they're putting together their short, they put in the latest Kesha song or, or something that they really love, you know, the latest and greatest track from BTS or whomever. And you have that in there and it's great and it gives it a lot of energy, but then you put it up on YouTube and it gets taken down um, or what have you. And that's because you do need to have the right to actually put that in your project. And you've got to be thinking about that kind of from the word go, because if you structure it around Bohemian Rhapsody and you can't get Bohemian Rhapsody, then you might be in a real fix. Um, And that was one of the things that I thought Larry was really great at giving advice for is Mm -hmm. he said, well, no, there, there are a lot of things. Let's go to the back catalog. Let's start listening. Let's, let's dive a little bit deeper and see if we can find something that for the purposes of the project works just as well, even though it's uh, not going to be the, you know, what was the number one billboard hit in 1995, we'll get something that works just as well. And I think that's kind of the wisdom of, of, you know, having people with a lot of experience around like, like Larry, cause he he's 
definitely been around the block. This is not his first rodeo. And he, his, his wisdom on the project was just enormously helpful. Oh. Yeah. And he knows the peeps too. He can call mm -hmm. peeps. You can call peeps. You can call peeps. You can find that person who's just about to break out mm -hmm. uh, and use their music. So he also advises <clears throat> wisely that one should, if possible, get the music created for the show. Yes. Uh, there's some up and coming young composer who's just dying to break in, who would love to do a short for experience and a reel who could do it for you on the cheap and who may be the next great thing. You never know. Mm -hmm. So that's how we've gone um, with a lot of our, our features is we found people who are just about to make their first record. Mm -hmm. And then we've said, will you do this for cheap? And they go, aha, uh -huh, a feature. Yeah. And then yeah. you get this great music. And, and so if you can have the movie generated for the project, obviously that's ideal. Um, if you have friends who make music, mm -hmm. it's super helpful. Um, and it's it's very worth it rather than trying to license something for a short. Yes, absolutely. If yeah, yeah, something where you just you have the license and rights all locked up from the very get-go because that was the assumption going into it is amazing. And that certainly can help help make make it a lot more doable and you know what sort of music you're getting. Yeah, a lot of benefits to that. And get it in writing, make mm -hmm. it legal, make mm -hmm. a contract, have it mm -hmm. go through all the proper channels, trust us on this. Music is, it can be a movie killer. Yeah, yeah. I know that there are well-known indie projects from the 90s and the 80s that you can't actually get now anymore because the there was only a certain period of time during which that movie could be made with that music and the licensing ran out. And even if it's a great project, even if it's a great movie, still you, they can't legally be selling or renting copies out because they don't have the rights to the music anymore. It's a very sad thing that I know that Larry uh, is, is aware of because he was an independent film, you know, godfather at the time and there are a lot of projects from that era that you can, you you actually can't get them anymore uh because the the music licensing rights ran out and that that's something that i think filmmakers at all scales and at all uh, scopes should be really thinking about particularly if you're making something on a smaller budget be thinking about well what kind of music am i getting into and where am i going to get it and uh, how am i going to make sure that it's licensed and doable for me so read our lips, get original music. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Well, this has been a really great conversation. I'm just so thrilled that we had a project come out. I'm so thrilled that you were willing to come onto this podcast and talk a little bit about it. I mean, Corey has a wealth of experience and knowledge. She's really good at this whole directing thing. And I'm just so thrilled that she was uh, the person who directed this script that I wrote. I was just, it just was dramatically better than I think if anybody else had done it. So well, like I you. said, Josh, I've rarely had more fun with the project. <laughs> I mean, fun, fun, fun from the get go till the last till today. I mean, it's just so mm -hmm. much fun. And that's because you're so fun and your brain is so fun and your heart is so fun. And the things that you generate are funny and full of heart and, and literally joy. And um, there's so little joy right now. Mm, it's true. amazing to be involved with something that is that is a joyful. It's a joyful sci-fi horror movie. What? Mm -hmm. yeah. That's I think why it's so it's so great. And I just want to say to the folks listening, you can do this. Um, don't be discouraged. I know you're going to be discouraged. Hello, but don't let it rule you because no matter what, you will get this done. You will 
get your your work seen and known. Um, Josh knows that many of my projects took not just years, but in some cases over a decade to see born. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet they were born and yeah. yours will be too. Yeah. And it, it is one of those things where you need to have the right mindset. This is not... Yeah, this is not quite the same thing as, oh, what's something that you can do really quickly? Buying something on Amazon. There's no such thing as two-day shipping for making a movie, you know? You can't overnight it. Uh, and it's going to take time, and there, there are definitely unexpected obstacles, and we had uh, our fair share of those on this project for sure, but because, you know, because Corey's done this and she knows that it takes a long time, uh, we were able to get through it and we had the perseverance uh, because that's that's an extremely important part of of making films and of really doing anything all that worthwhile in this world. It's hard. It, like Amen. doing anything we were, big is hard. And we were talking that it's not unlike having a child, Josh. Uh, <laughs> there, there's all the planning and the prep and you just never know mm-hmm. <laughs> you know and but there's there's great joy at the end of all of that and I, and I do want to say um the other piece of advice I have is just get on set get on other people's sets learn all you can uh, volunteer until you don't need to mm-hmm. show up on time be cheerful be willing uh or show up early uh mm-hmm. and just let them know you are here to help and be a, a wonderful participant in their dream. And then when it's your turn, they'll participate in your dream. Yeah, absolutely. This is uh, no movie is made by itself. Um, yeah. So this has been a great discussion. Uh, Corey, where can people find you? Where can people find the company? Well, <clears throat> we are at kairos-productions.com, which is K-A-I-R-O-S-productions.com. You can find uh, links to all our stuff on there. Uh, My work, Josh's work, our work, Mm -hmm. um, and to other people's things. And I'm on all socials as Cornelia Durier. Uh, My Twitter is at Corey Doe, D-O-H, because of Doe. And I'm on Insta and Facebook and all that stuff. But um, you can get most of that from kairosproductions.com. There are, I think, seven or eight things called Kairos Productions in the world. Ours has a dash in the middle. There we go. That's how you get it. Uh, Thanks again, Corey. And thank you all for listening to Cheat the Camera. Please comment and rate Cheat the Camera on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the best way to help spread the word. And you can get in touch with me by contacting me at contact at cheatthecamera.com or on Twitter at GDHMakes. Thanks for listening.